If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 39 through 56, and really at Mary's song. But Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56, says this, In those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed." For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for just the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, thanks for this time of year when we get to pause and reflect and look at the incarnation where God became man, so you could save sinners. Lord, thanks for saving us. Lord, I pray you would forgive us for the things that even this week we have failed you from, and just give us your grace. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would just help us as we look at your word, that we've been encouraged and strengthened by it, and that you would just remove any distractions from hearing from you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you Google the phrase, when the music stops, it never comes back with a good thing. There's nothing really good when you hear someone say, and, and, and then the music stopped. Celine Dion, who is a very famous singer, has sold over 250 million albums this week, came out and announced that uh, she's going to have to stop singing for a while because her health has gotten so bad that she's been diagnosed with stiff person syndrome. Nothing worse than being a singer and not being able to move, not being able to sing, not being able to do what you were called to do when the music stops. And for many people, um, that is what it often can even feel like, even this time of year, even in the season of life. Yesterday in the Saturday email, I sent, put a blog post from Chris Brooks, and he said this about, uh, about as he's getting ready to bury his brother who just died not too long ago. He, says, he said, life has always been hard. 
But lately it seems to be so hard for so many. Lost loved ones, lost jobs, lingering health problems, and hunger surrounds us. Death, war, famine, and pestilence aren't just comic book characters. The whole world is hurting. And even in this room, I know this week, many of you, some of you are, we are people struggling with sicknesses. Some people are uh, getting ready for doctor visits. And as we look at this and look at what God would have for us this morning, I would just want to encourage us with Mary's song and the music of her song. In Isaiah 35, the music seemed to have stopped for the people of God. They've been, they were promised all these things by God. They were wanting God to, they had been told what God was going to do. Then they were put in exile and they were wondering, is God going to come through? And God keeps telling him that the song continues. But he says to people in Isaiah 35, they're waiting, and they are people with weak hands, feeble needs, fearful hearts, obscured vision, hindered hearing, broken bodies, and silent tongues. And they're wondering, when will all the sorrow and the sighing stop? And then we get into the Gospels. After 400 years of silence, where the people of God didn't hear from God at all, and then the first Reaction, the first word from God in the Gospel of Luke from God is fear not. And in Mary's song, she gives for us just reasons to rejoice in a weary world. And this is just the beauty of this passage. There's this, there's this movement all along. There's this message and there's this movement, which is all about true of all music. There's a good songs have good messages. They have good music and it causes movement. And this is what Mary's song does for us. And this section, there's just, I want us to see that there's a message of rejoicing. There's a movement to rejoicing. There's a music of rejoicing. And there is a means of rejoicing for us. First of all, just the the message of rejoicing. It says in verse 39, it says, in those days. What were the days that they were talking about? It just kind of jumps right into the story of the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote his gospels as a historian. He, he, He sat down, he tracked all these people down as much as he could, and he shared with us in a historical way, the truth of how Jesus came. And so his gospel starts out with telling, first of all, two stories before we get to the part of in those days. And the first story that Luke talks about is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was very old, and Zechariah was a priest, and they had prayed and prayed and prayed that God would give them children, and it never Happened, And then Zechariah was called to do his duty in the temple. He gets called to the temple. He goes in and for the chance of a lifetime to offer the burnt offering. And he's in there. The angel comes to him and he says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Your, your wife will have a child. And he will be a forerunner for Jesus, is John the Baptist. And Zechariah, he questions it. He doesn't just take it by faith. He questions it, and the angel says, because you didn't take my word, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to talk until the baby is born. And so Elizabeth is pregnant, who's 
Mary's cousin. And right after that story, the story of this barren woman is the story of Gabriel then coming to Mary and telling Mary that she is going to have a baby. She's not married yet, and she's going to be pregnant. On the face of those two stories, it's not very much rejoicing. There's a barren old woman and a pregnant woman who's not married. And that would be scandalous and disheartening and tragic in those days. And yet, Mary, when she hears that this is what is going to take place, her response is just one of faith. She believes Gabriel. She's unbelievably bold in her belief. And she, she just says, she doesn't question it. She asks how it's going to happen because she takes it as a legitimate fact that she is going to be instantaneously become pregnant, which is what she does. And, she, and the angel says to her, nothing is impossible with God. She believes it and she goes off. She is rejoicing. And in those days, in those days of Mary hearing the news of the angel, she's rejoicing. She takes off to Esther. She hears that her cousin is married. She takes off to go see Elizabeth, and she takes off on this 70-mile walk to where Elizabeth is at. And she, she walks all the way to see her, and when she gets there, it's an unbelievable movement. She just this, 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 this good news causes Mary to move in rejoicing. It's this unbelievable message of rejoicing that makes Mary move 70 miles to go see her cousin, and she's moved because she believes what she has been told. And as she gets there, when she walks in, Elizabeth sees her, and after she hears the announcement, she worships God. The Holy Spirit in John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps with joy when he Mary comes in. And because the baby leaps with joy, that spills over into Elizabeth and he leaps for joy. There's, there's this movement of Mary to believe the message. There is a move by the, her then to go visit her cousin. And there's a move in the womb of Elizabeth to worship Jesus Christ, which the way the Bible talks about children, children are children in the womb. John the Baptist was considered a person in the womb, and he, he rejoices. This demonstrates this movement of when God is moving, because God is moving. God is active in his creation, which this morning, there's a danger to those who might not believe the message that nothing is impossible with God or that you can live your life where God's not involved in your life. God is actively involved in his creation. And it is actively true that even this, though the story of the gospel is mind-blowing, it's, it's, it's almost un, uncomprehensible, how could all this be true? It is true. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, how they got the message that God wants us to know. For, so for those who do not believe, there's a danger to not believe that this is the way God came into the world, and he calls us to believe it. This is good news to the world that Jesus came to save sinner. But there's also a danger for believers, Followers of Christ who, in the struggles of life, start to melt 
in their rejoicing. Start to melt in their in their joy. There's, I think, three of them. One of the ways you start to lose your joy and trust in God and as a danger for believers is when you start to you want to decide how God's supposed to move and work in your life. When you start to say, this is how God's supposed to do it, this is the way it's going to, to be, and you try to live your life that way, your joy and rejoicing is going to melt. Or another danger is when you demand when God's going to move and work. And you say, this is, this is, you got to do it now, God. This is when I, this is what it's supposed to be. And if you don't do it this way, when I want it, your rejoicing in God is going to melt. Or when you discredit how God is working, your joy will melt. When you had big ideas, big ways and you thought it was going to happen this way and God does it a completely different way or you just don't even recognize it or you're just going to discredit it or you don't even acknowledge that this is God working in God's way. You're rejoicing in God and your joy will melt. Mary did none of those things. This young girl heard from an angel that she would become pregnant And the Messiah would be born through her, and her response was just to believe God. She believed his word, and when she did that, she became a model of faith for the believers. I mean, she just believed it. She heard the word, and she believed the word. That was it. Zechariah, the old priest, when he heard the angel, he, he questioned it. He had been praying and praying and praying, yet he wasn't, hadn't been praying in full belief. Where Mary, she heard the word, she believed it. This is what God said, I'm going to act upon it, and it caused her to move. Caused her to move 70 miles. Caused her to go see her cousin Elizabeth, and it caused her to worship God. And her response to this message was, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The, the gospel message is a, is, it's a message of rejoicing. It's a message that always brings movement with rejoicing. But there is a music of the gospel. There's a music of rejoicing. Psalm 40, verses 46 through 55 is what they call Mary's Magnificat, which is, comes from the first word of, in, in the Latin translation of this, which is what the word magnifies, just make much of. But as you're reading the story, there's all kinds of movement to it. Zechariah, uh, Gabriel comes and speaks to him. Gabriel comes to Mary. Mary packs up and walks 70 miles and goes to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth sees her and she's moving around and celebrating and rejoicing. And all of a sudden, it's just this movement, movement, movement. And all of a sudden, it's just this pause. There's, there's a stop in the, in the narrative. There's a, there's a song that gets sung. You ever been to a musical? And you're watching a musical, if you see a musical on TV, and they're, they're doing the action in the narrative, and then all of a sudden, the music stops. And if you love musicals, you're totally into it. And if you don't love musicals, you're like, come on, just keep with the action. But why do they bring out the music? 
Because they, they bring out the music in the musicals because they want to get the audience into the story. You've been watching the narrative the whole time and then all of a sudden they turn to you, the audience, and they sing because they're trying to draw you into the story so you can put yourself into the story, so you can put your situation into the story. And this is what Luke is doing with his gospel. He gives all this movement, all this action, and then he pauses and Mary sings this song so that we all can be brought in and we can bring ourselves into the action of rejoicing. And she gives for us reasons to rejoice even in the midst of a weary world. And the message of the music gives us, as believers, reasons to rejoice. And this is what Mary sings. She hears what Elizabeth said and she sings this. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The first reason that we can rejoice in weariness is we can, we can rejoice because God gives grace. God gives grace. So Mary said, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me Blessed. She goes, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary knew that she needed grace. There's obviously the belief that some people say Mary never sinned. She's some kind of special woman. She's set apart from everyone else. Mary is a special woman. And there's a danger of raising her up too high, and there's a danger of putting her down too low. She is a very special young woman that God called, but she was a sinner, and she recognized her need for mercy. She recognized her need for grace, and the truth is she rejoiced because God gives grace. We all need grace. Well, what the grace for Mary was, when she just rejoiced in this, that my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, she didn't fully understand everything that Jesus was going to be yet. She didn't totally understand that. But what she was responding to was just the unbelievable grace in that moment that she had been given by God. In the Old Testament, when anybody was rescued in a certain way, they would describe that as a salvation. That there's a rescue. And Mary is saying, my soul is going to make much of God because deep down I've been radically and dramatically changed. I've been rescued, as someone said, from the calamity of being humiliated, being a forgotten person, a person of insignificance. It says Mary was this nobody, nobody's business girl in a small town that nobody cared about. It says that she was lowly and without nothing. And God reached down to her in her humble estate, and he raised her up. That's what grace always does. Grace always reaches down to us. It reaches down to you. If you've seen Jesus and have been rescued by faith, it's not because you were up trying to reach for God and trying real hard. It's because God saw you in your weak, lowly, broken, messy self and said, I want you. And he reached down and he picked you up. And God always seems to do that. He always seems to use the weak things of the world. If you feel weak, if you feel broken, if you feel weary, you feel like Mary. And God's response to that is to rejoice. Because God gives 
grace. He always reaches down to lift us up. That's what we can rejoice in, not because we're worthy, but because God loves us so much. And she rejoiced in this. We can rejoice because God gives grace, and we can rejoice because God's great power. It says in verses 49 through 53, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. We can rejoice because of God's great power. And this is a picture that Mary was looking back to Exodus, where God came in and he delivered his people out of Egypt with a strong arm. Exodus. 13.17 says, with an upheld arm, he lifted them out. That there is no possible way for the nation of Israel to get outside of Egypt unless God came in and with a strong arm lifted them out. We can rejoice because of God's great power. There's an interesting, funny story almost in Numbers chapter 11. The nation of Israel gets outside, that they're released from Egypt. God's brought them out with a strong arm. Moses has taken the people to where in, in the wilderness. They've been out there. God's been dropping manna from heaven, and all of a sudden, the people start to grumble, and then they're just grumbling, and they're angry, and they're, they're, they're grumbling because they, all they have to eat is manna, just this, this bread that comes down from heaven, and they've tried every thousands of ways to figure out how to make something out of it, and they've, they've tried every recipe that they can come up with, it says in Numbers 11, and, and they're just tired of it. They're sick of it, and they start to complain, and they start to argue, and they start to get mad, and they're growling, and Moses' response to that is he's hearing the people complain. And it says in Numbers chapter 11 that he gets mad and he goes to God and he says, why did you create me? Why, why, why did you call me to take these people and treat them? Did, did I give birth to them? Why is it now my burden to treat them like I'm their father? And God hears all this and he says to Moses, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, these people are tired of manna. I'm going to give them meat until they can't take it anymore. I mean, in, over, in Numbers it says, I'm gonna, they're going to be eating meat until it's coming out of their nostrils, it says in Numbers chapter 11. They're going to eat meat until they are absolutely sick of it. And Moses' response to that should have been, yes, finally. Moses' response to that is, how's that going to happen? There's 600,000 Israelites around here. Are, are you going to be able to get all the animals to come? Am I supposed to go kill all of them? How am I going to fish, get all the fish out of the sea? And he starts complaining to God about that. And God's response to Moses is the Lord's hand shortened. And God brought quail in and dumped it all over the land for the people to eat. God has great power. God has great and unbelievable power in your life. So the situation right now that you are struggling with and you're arguing with God with, and you're wondering what he's doing, and he, he gave you one thing, and now you're frustrated with something else, and then he tells you something else, and you're trying to figure it out, God's response to you is rejoice. I've got great power. Is my arm shortened? Has the arm of the Lord been shortened? We rejoice because of God's grace. We rejoice because of his great power. And we rejoice because of God's connected 
promises. Verse 50 says, mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. And verse 55 says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God's promises connect from generation to generation to generation. Abraham, who was promised by God that he would become a father of many nations, and that from him all the world would be blessed. This was an unconditional promise. It was spoken thousands of years before the people of Israel, before Mary's time, and she knows this. And she's singing to God, he has helped his servant Israel, which would have been Jacob, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham. And in Luke, Luke is mentioned in Luke's gospel in chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 13, chapter 16, chapter 19, and chapter 20. Because Luke wants us to know that God's promises continue throughout all generations. And they are an unconditional promise. And that God will fulfill his promise. And he ultimately fulfilled his promise in Jesus Christ. So all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And they keep flowing, which means they keep coming to us. They keep going on and on with us. And sometimes you have to look back so you can look forward to find hope. Sometimes when you get the news of a situation and it just seems like there's not going to be another way, this is, this is the end. There's no future. There's no hope feeling. And you start to, your rejoicing starts to melt, we have to pause and look back so that we can look forward and see how God has worked in the past and remember his promises that have been given from generation to after generation to after generation. But how do we do it? We can hear Mary's song and the action could just keep continuing. But God has called us to rejoice. Over and over in Scripture, he calls us to rejoice. So what's the means? We know we're supposed to. We hear what we can rejoice about. But what's the means to rejoice? Rejoicing is an ability that we're given by God. But it's something that we're, it's got to be developed. It's got to be developed. And I think the last verse gives us help to see how we can develop are rejoicing. And it says, after Mary sang this unbelievable song to God, it says, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The way we develop this rejoicing is we have to have a deep reliance on the word of God. I mean, this is a young girl that sang this song. This is a young girl from a little town but she so knew Scripture that when all these things in her life were coming together, she's able to tie them together. I mean, she's quoting Psalms 103. She ties her song back to the story of, of Hannah and Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It is clear that the Mary knew the Scriptures so much that when the life started to happen in her life, she connected it to Scripture, which is why it's important, parents, if you have little kids to teach the scriptures to them when they're young, to let them hear it. 
Because somebody sat down with Mary when she was little and said, this is God's word. Here's what Isaiah says. Here's what Samuel says. And over and over and over again, they repeated it to her. So it became a part of her. So she had such a deep, deep reliance on the word of God that when her life started, that's what came out of her life was the word of God. If you want to rejoice, it's got to have this deep connection and understanding of the word of God. There has to then be, I think there's a deep relationship with the people of God to rejoice. Mary remained with her. She stayed with her cousin. This helped her. This formerly barren old woman who didn't think she had any hope. And this young girl who's pregnant but not yet married and knows she's going to walk back to a town that's not going to understand. And people are going to harass her, and people are going to mock her and scorn her. What's going to help her to rejoice was she stayed with her cousin for a while. She stayed with the people of God. She she was encouraged by them. She had a deep relationship with them, which is why we need the people of God. Which is why we need each other. We need to text each other, encourage each other, contact each other, pray for each other. It helps build our rejoicing in God. And then she returned to her home, it says. To stay rejoicing in God, we have to be dependent on His Word. We have to build relationships with the people of God. But then she remained deeply remained in reality trusting God. There's all kinds of things she could have done to escape her life. She could have tried all kinds of ways to avoid the shame that she was walking back into in her hometown. But she didn't. She returned to her home. There's many ways you might be trying to deal with situations and Avoid the reality of what is in your life and avoid, fill it with other things. But that will kill your rejoicing. It won't strengthen your rejoicing. The way to strengthen our rejoicing is even in the hardship of it to remain in reality. But in that reality, trusting God, asking for his help in it. There is a weary world that needs to see and hear from believers, that in the midst of the reality of that weariness, we can still rejoice. A weary world rejoices. That phrase comes from the song, O Holy Night. The way we do that and to the degree we do that will determine how much we can and will rejoice. But here's the hope. Towards the middle of that song of a holy night, it says this. He knows our need. To our weakness, no stranger. Behold your king. Before him, lowly bend. Behold your king. Your king, before him, bend. The hope for us to rejoice is to know that we have a God who knows our weaknesses. He's not a stranger to them. He understands what you're walking through and into this week. And he says, look to me. Behold me. Magnify me. Because he is a God who will make a way. Let's pray.